both partners have their part to play. Like if your happiness in a relationship rests only on your partner doing things differently and not on you doing anything differently, you're really unlikely to be happy. My name is Jess and this is Go ADHD, an idiosyncratic mess of a podcast. Today I'm talking to Dr. Ari Tuckman, a US psychologist who specializes in the treatment and diagnosis of ADHD. He's the voice behind podcasts More Attention Less Deficit and the author behind books such as Understand Your Brain Get More Done and most recently ADHD After Dark Better Sex Life Better Relationship. I will be speaking to him all about ADHD medication, the general difficulties that people with ADHD face day to day and of course ADHD slash non-ADHD adult relationships. I'm feeling like I'm fangirling a little bit, not going to lie, like (laughs) talking to you. Yeah, your podcast is amazing and everything you do. And I just really would like to chew the fat with you and just kind of ask you a little bit about ADHD because that is why we're here. Would you like to introduce yourself? So yeah, so my name is Ari Tuckman. I'm a psychologist in, uh, in the States outside of Philadelphia. I've been doing work with folks with ADHD for, I don't know, like 20 years now. Um, I've written four books on adult ADHD, my most recent of which is ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. And, you know, I present all over the place. I've, you know, did a podcast of my own, haven't done any in a while, called More Attention, Less Deficit. And I just think ADHD is really interesting. And, um, you know, a lot of the folks I know with ADHD are a whole lot of fun. So uh, it's good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're like actually hilarious. Like you never have a boring conversation when an ADHD is in the house. I mean, yeah. it may not be that relevant or may not make that much sense, but yeah, it's always fun. Yeah. Never boring. It may not end as the conversation it started, but you know, that's fine. Exactly. It's like a, a roller coaster. You don't know where it will take you, but it will take you somewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, just chatting to me and sharing some of your just expertise, really. I'm really excited to just kind of delve into the questions and grill you without that actually sounded so scary. <laughs> Not grill you, have a conversation with you and just talk ADHD. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's get cracking. Okay, I'm going to start with a slightly rogue question give you a bit of a context behind my decision to ask this so I've been seeing a lot of different contradicting things online regarding do kids grow out of ADHD I asked my my followers on Instagram and like me they were like no 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 the vast majority said no however there are a lot of professionals out there that have been putting forward that idea and I just really wanted to get your stance on that do kids grow out of ADHD I mean Some of them do. Certainly, your brain will develop until your late 20s. So, you know, in terms of where you're going to end up, I don't know, hard to say, right? We need to wait until your brain stops developing. But, you know, the other piece of it is life sort of changes in the sense that when you're a kid, pretty much school is what you got. And let's face it, school mostly looks like school, right? There's not that many different options of school. Once you become an adult outside of school, you have a lot more options for how to live your life. So that's the good news. Um, The bad news is as you become an adult, hopefully your mom's still not waking you up in the morning and reminding you to call the doctor's office and doing your laundry and all that, right? So like the need to be the one who organizes your life, who takes charge of things, who thinks about the future 
becomes much greater as an adult than it is as a kid. You know, so the challenges in some ways can actually become greater. But, you know, frankly, most kids with ADHD tend to become adults with ADHD. It just may be that if they were hyperactive, and not all folks with ADHD are, but, you know, the hyperactivity sort of settles out, so they're not so overtly hyperactive. But, yeah, I mean, mostly kids with ADHD become adults with ADHD. Well, I'm a combined type. Best of both worlds, you know? But, I mean, I used to do this thing where I used to run up and down the stairs when I was little, you know, like quite hyperactive. Mm -hmm. However... I would not say I am as hyperactive in that way as I am right now. I mean, I do show some hyperactive symptoms, but they are way less than they were when I was younger. Yep. Right now, I'd say what I struggle more with is inattention. That's kind of my main ADHD struggle. And that's kind of typical, I, I guess, with a lot of kids, which is why there's a perception that you turn yeah. 18 and then bam, no ADHD. So yeah. oh, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. School bell rings, ta-da, problem solved. Yes, amazing. I can finally hang up my laundry without, you know, it being a thing. Right, oh, exactly. Yes. Yeah. The other thing yeah. that sometimes happens yeah. is kids who are really hyperactive tend to get noticed and diagnosed a whole lot earlier, right? Because we all know who that kid is, who's like can't sit still and is running around. They're calling out in class and yeah. they're always talking to their neighbors. It's yeah. the folks who have more of the sort of inattentive type where they're forgetful and they're disorganized and they procrastinate and they have trouble paying attention to boring things and, you know, they have trouble reading or remembering what they've read, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those folks are going to fly under the radar a whole lot longer because it's not quite so visibly obvious that they're not doing what they should. And these are the folks who I sometimes say rely too much on smarts and charm to get through, right? So they're not the people who, when they have a big paper due on Friday, are doing a research on Monday yeah. and putting together an outline on Tuesday and writing a rough draft on Wednesday and finalizing on Thursday, right? These are the kids who it's Thursday night that they're like, oh my God, I have a paper due. Or if they're an adult, you know, whatever the equivalent is in adulthood, right? It's like that pressure the last minute, it all comes rushing out. End result might be pretty good, but man, was it a bit of a different experience of getting there, shall we say. Yeah, like you're saying this to me and I'm just picturing like times when that's happened. And it's literally giving me heart palpitations. Yeah. Either do something super early because it's so interesting and I'm like, yeah, I'll prioritize that or wait until the blind panic takes over and that will motivate me to do that. Too much of ADHD is doing things driven by blind panic, right? That folks with ADHD are not so good at just like, uh, all right, I guess let's just start working on this, right? It's much more so forget, forget, forget. Nah, I got time, I got time, I got time. Oh my God, I don't have time. Um, so ADHD can be a lot more stressful. Yeah, I mean, it is super stressful. And I guess going back to what you said about the fact that these symptoms perhaps aren't yep. like checked or they are kind of put down to something else. And that's probably definitely to do with the stereotype out there yeah. of like ADHD, hyperactive boys yeah. rather than yeah. like daydreamy well, girls. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Exactly as you said, the symptoms are put down to something else, right? So um, if you're a, kind of a daydreamy girl, then it's like, well, you know, she's just not that interested in academics, right? Which is maybe a nice interpretation versus less nice is she's just lazy or she's just oppositional or other explanations that people make to try to explain the behavior that they're seeing. And, you know, this is part of the challenge of ADHD is that 
people make assumptions about other people based on what they observe. And the symptoms of ADHD can look one way, but they don't necessarily reveal what the intention is. You know, so you might have great intentions to get a better grade on this next test or do a better job on the next, you know, report for work or whatever. And yet here we go again just knowing and wanting it to be different doesn't make it different. It's great to break these things down. And I think every single time I talk about ADHD to someone, like whether it's an expert like yourself or another ADHD, I'm just like, oh my gosh, any sort of question whether or not I have it is, yeah, you're speaking my truth. Mm -hmm. How did you get into my mind? Yeah. So, you know, ADHD is a neurological condition, meaning it's a condition that affects certain specific parts of the brain, that there's a little bit less activity in certain specific parts. It's mostly driven by genetics. Um, there are some environmental things, so things that happen in pregnancy or during childbirth or early childhood. So anything that potentially affects brain functioning can then certainly affect ADHD, but mostly it's genetics. You know, the issue is that folks with ADHD have a harder time sort of filtering out inputs that are less important. So in other words, if you're sitting in a meeting at work, and the boss is saying something important that you probably want to pay attention to and write down. And instead, you have the thought of, oh, I wonder if that, you know, Netflix series season two, when is that coming out? Um, or there's a noise out there or, you know, some hottie from the next office walks by the glass windows and you see them or something, right? Like that is not the most important thing to be paying attention to. It's a thing, but it's not the most important thing. And not that any of us are perfect, because we certainly all have our moments, but folks with ADHD more so will have a harder time kind of pushing those extraneous thoughts or stimuli away in the service of paying attention to the thing that's the most important. Um, and the problem is the thing that's the most important isn't necessarily the thing that's most exciting, that's most flashy, that's most attention grabbing. You know, so if your boss gets up and says, okay, everybody, I have a really big announcement, probably no problem, right? You'll get right on it. The issue is when it kind of slips by, right? It's just like a, by the way, part of a conversation. And then you, you know, three days later, your boss comes to you and says, hey, would you ever, you know, figure that? And you're like, um, wait, what? Um, uh, <laughs> right? Cause it, yeah, because you yeah. didn't grab it. And you're like, ooh, that's important. Let's remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, oh my God, that, that's me. I also find like, unless I'm, really you know honing in on something and I'm really kind of realizing the importance of it or if I oh oh no where am I going with this I'm so sorry like I had this amazing answer in my head <laughs> and then I've just seen it like disappear in front of me so here's the example right like you just sort of did it which is in that moment right as your brain has all sorts of different ideas and yeah. thoughts in different directions to go based on what I said before right like the most important so to speak thing was that one response that you were starting on, right? That is the thing that ideally your attention would have grabbed onto and held on yeah. tight. Except what happened was these other thoughts and ideas and associations and reminders and like all that stuff that kind of goes on in our brain, that other stuff kind of hijacked your attention, right? Like it, your attention grabbed onto the new thing bumped out the yeah. first thing that you started yeah. with. so yeah. you just showed it obviously having this then I saw that it was raining outside and then yeah. I was just like oh no <laughs> you know get back <laughs> on the uh, the good stuff well and like and that's the thing you know like life is pretty complicated and from moment to moment to moment right a million moments in a day 
we're making choices. Pay more attention to this, pay less attention to that. And hopefully, mostly generally, we are tending to make better choices rather than worse choices, and mostly life works out. Um, except once in a while, all of us, like we don't pay attention to the most important thing, and then something slightly negative happens. But the problem is folks with ADHD have those moments more often. And it's that kind of slow accumulation of additional struggles of you start your day 15 minutes late because you can't find your keys. So it's not just that you're late, but you're also in a panic and late. And frankly, maybe you started your day late because last night you stayed up too late. So maybe the problem of today began yesterday. And, you know, then you go to make breakfast and maybe you don't have the stuff that you need for breakfast or while you're making breakfast, you forget the fact that like, oh, wait, the radio said it was going to rain. I should probably bring an umbrella um, and set like little by little by little. Oh, I can't find my umbrella. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Assuming you know where the umbrella is. <laughs> can't find my, because my room's too messy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was me. Yeah, well, you're just like, oh, I forgot to buy this. Oh, wait, leave the house. Oh, no, I was meant to take the bins out. And that contributes to everything. That's yeah. why people were just like, why don't you just leave 15 minutes earlier? And I'm just like, oh, my God, you just don't understand. Yeah. I, I actively do, but things slow me down. Well, and that's the thing, you know, like this sort of possibly well-intentioned advice of why don't you just leave 15 minutes earlier? I mean, first of all, it's kind of like, duh, as if like that idea never occurred to you, right? Like, you know, as if nobody in however many years you've been alive mentioned that idea. And you're like, wait, what? That's a thing? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I never considered that. Yeah. Right. It's like if you tripped over something and fell, if someone said, hey, um, yeah, don't trip over that. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. the problem with just leave 15 minutes earlier is there's a lot of things that have to happen in order to actually leave 15 minutes earlier that, first of all, you probably need to get started earlier. You need to stay on track and not get off onto other things. And that means resisting other distractions and temptations of like, nope, don't look at that. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. Stay here. Stay the course. Right. You need to be making a lot of good choices along the way. And then you need to actually be mentally tracking time accurately in order for everything to kind of work out so that, ta-da, you're actually leaving 15 minutes earlier. You know, so it's easy to say leave 15 minutes earlier, but actually doing it and using the time well is not a guarantee. And that is the challenge for ADHD. It's, um, there's this kind of famous saying by Russell Barkley that ADHD is not a disorder of knowing what to do. It's a disorder of doing what you know. So leaving on time is easy to say. But can you do it? And not just once or twice, but like most of the time. Although, frankly, losing weight is really easy also from the knowing what to do side, right? Eat less, exercise more, ta-da. But of course, the doing is a whole lot harder. So knowing is often the easiest part of doing something. That's always the case. Like I know what to do, but whether or not I can actually do it or, you know, retrace your steps. Yeah. It's like, I don't know where my steps right. have been. Which steps would those be? I was like, well, I went to the kitchen and then I got distracted by something else. And then I, uh, you know, checked my phone and then I realized I hadn't replied to an email halfway through replying to my email. I got a message and then put my phone down. Where's my phone? Yeah, it yeah. is a minefield. Yeah. You must have met so many people with ADHD, so you must be like a dab hand at knowing not only like the neurology and stuff, but actually kind of seeing these behaviors yep. and being like, that is very ADHD of you. There's some new research that has come out in the last some years that 
Um, and again, this is Russell Barkley's work. Um, and what it found was that folks with poorly managed, and that's the key word, poorly managed ADHD, not only lived noticeably fewer years than folks without ADHD. My gosh, that's actually terrifying <laughs> what you just said. <laughs> but also the number of good quality years. So being alive and hooked up to a bunch of machines technically counts as alive, but I don't think anyone would be bragging about no, it. Not so in terms of total years and quality years. <laughs> Ain't hashtagging that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry. I'll let you get back to what you were saying. Yeah, but it's true, right? Like, yeah, you're alive. I guess that counts, but still it's not a life worth aspiring to. So the thing about this is on the one hand, Yes, it's extremely scary, but my goal in sharing this is not to, you know, make people never sleep again, but rather... Um, I mean, we don't sleep anyway, right. so that's cool. Right. <laughs> right, but instead of thinking about funny things from YouTube, now you're thinking about like, your pending mortality, but... Um, yeah, so, it's coming closer. Yeah, the thing is that, you know, the goal in bringing this up is ADHD is important. Right. Like you want to take it seriously. You want to understand it. You want to manage it well. And the reason why folks with ADHD have shorter life expectancies is that, you know, let's face it, all those good habits, those good health promoting habits, they're all pretty boring. Right. They're things like, you know, brush your teeth and floss every day eat healthy things that don't taste as good as unhealthy things. Make sure you get to the gym, get enough sleep, um, you know, actually follow up on your doctor's appointments or follow up to get a prescription filled. All that good health maintenance stuff, it's really kind of boring stuff. And that's the stuff that folks with ADHD struggle the most with is really just plain old one foot in front of the other consistency. So treating your ADHD with medication and with education of like learning good strategies and really kind of getting on top of your life is not just about today will be better. It's also about I'm going to have a whole lot more tomorrows. So like this is important stuff and it's easy to dismiss ADHD as like, oh, everybody has it or it's just some excuse or, oh gosh, you know, ADHD whatever. It drives me insane when it's like, we all got a bit of ADHD. And I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> I'd like you to spend some time right. in my mind or talk to someone who actually knows about it. Yeah. But that's like saying everybody has depression, right? Like, no, not everybody has depression. Everybody has down days. That's true. Some people kill themselves because they're so depressed. Those are not the same thing. So the fact that something occurs on a bit of a spectrum doesn't mean it's universal. Yeah, and it also kind of takes emphasis away from like the struggles that we are having, makes it seem like we're overreacting and stuff, which really infuriates me. Yeah. Before I was so self-aware, I used to be like, yeah, yeah, kind of. But now I'm a bit like, mate, what mm -hmm. are you talking about? I've lost my passport three times. My mum was like, you can't order a new one. Like they'll think you're trying to commit identity fraud. Hope the British government aren't listening uh, to this right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to get arrested as a terrorist. Mm. But this is the thing, right? Like, it's easy if the problem is you forgot to take out the bins for trash yeah. day. You know, your roommates might or your flatmates might say, oh, you're just mm -hmm. selfish and lazy. But what benefit do you have mm -hmm. in losing your passport? How is your life better? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yay, paperwork. I love paper. Oh, bureaucracy. So yes. good. I love filling out forms and waiting weeks for something to come back. 
right? Like, there's yeah. no benefit. Just love dishing out 70 uh, quid. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, this is the thing is that folks with ADHD don't just struggle in the places that are, let's just say, a little too convenient, right? So the kid who forgets his homework at school and then, mm -hmm. I guess, has to play video games all night. Um, but, you know, they also kind of shoot themselves in the mm -hmm. foot in lots of ways that really don't serve them. So this yeah. kind of idea that it's all just an excuse, mm -hmm. like it doesn't actually make sense if you actually think beyond just the superficial. Exactly. Is it a bit like, why would we put ourselves through this stress? <laughs> it's not an excuse. <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah. Why would I do that? I mean, actually, having said that, I've not lost anything recently, but we have been in lockdown. So I'm not really kind of putting much on like, me being right. more control of my symptoms. I just haven't left the house. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I cut you off when you're in yeah. the middle of saying some like gold dust statement, which you were before. Because I'm always really aware that if I like cut someone off in the middle of speaking and then they're just back to like bestow wisdom and I come in with a random thought, it kind of messes everything up. So right. have you uh, got anything that you want to add to that? Let me sort of pivot a little bit. And, you know, we've sort of mentioned the idea of medication a little bit kind of tangentially here, but let me just sort of put it out there that... Um, when it comes to managing ADHD, medication is the most effective treatment we have. Um, it works well. It does a really good job in terms of what it's mm -hmm. supposed to do. The risks and side effects are pretty low. And, you know, especially when you take into account all the many ways that poorly managed ADHD is going to make your life harder and shorter, to look at like, oh, I don't like the risks of medication, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like, yeah, well, how do you like the alternative? which is not to get too political, but um, we have a bunch of people here in America. I think you probably do as well. Everywhere else does. We're like, yeah, I don't really, you know, I'm not going to get a COVID vaccine because, you know, we don't know. It hasn't been out long enough. It's like, okay, maybe we don't, but we know for freaking damn sure what COVID does. It's kind of like saying, I don't think I don't want to wear a seatbelt when I'm driving because, you know, you might get rope burn if you get into a car accident, right? Like, Okay, sure, you might, but at least you're alive to tell the story exactly. of the rope burn. It's like, mate, you're not doing your COVID vaccine. You're not coming to the pub with me. Stay at home. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, all of life means accepting risk. But when you look at the science on medication for ADHD, it is really quite safe. Most people can find a medication in a dose that works quite well. If it's the wrong medication or the wrong dose, by the end of the day, it's worn off. So you're yeah. basically off of it mm -hmm. by the evening anyway. So it's really a pretty low thing. Um, mm -hmm. Big thing that people sometimes yeah. say as a sort of a reason not to try medication is, oh, well, the stimulants are addictive, which is just actually not true. Like they really are not addictive. Besides the fact that there's a lot of science that proves this. Um, I've got clients with ADHD who forget their medication all the time. They forget to take it. They forget to get refills. They forget to call the doctor's office to set up a follow-up appointment. Like if it is really that addictive, why are they forgetting it? And here's my smart ass example. I don't think there's ever been a heroin addict who has said, wait a second, it's like three in the afternoon. I don't think I took my heroin today. Like it does not happen. But it happens all it the time with it. ADHD. It cannot be addictive if you can get through most of the day before you remember that you didn't take it. Maybe people would say, like, I'm addicted to it because I feel like I can't function without it. But it makes things easier. But then my life is still 
pretty tricky without it. People come up to me when I take medication and they sometimes say, oh, are you cured now? And I was a bit like, well, no, yeah. it's not like you, you put on a pair of glasses. You know what I mean? Like, does it mean that you can see again? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I do this thing, actually, which is actually kind of bad. I've only done it a few times and I've been like, did I take my medication? Did I not? And then I'm kind of like, should I risk it and take another one? Like, you don't know. And then it's the getting to order it. If your mind was on your addiction, you would be like straight away on the order malarkey as soon as you can possibly get some rather than just leaving it too late. So how can it be addictive? I mean, it is your own choice, but I mean, I've seen myself without medication. and It's not, it's not great. Quite scatty, I guess, day to day. Yeah, it definitely makes all the difference. Your latest book has come out. Um, it's surrounding relationships, and I would really love to hear more. So the book is called ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. And there's sort of a number of books, not a lot, but there's a handful of books out there on ADHD and relationships, but none of them really looked at a couple's sex life and how that is an important part of keeping a couple's relationship on track. And, you know, now granted, we all have our struggles in life and in our relationships, but couples who do better sexually have a little more resilience to do better to handle just all the normal strife and struggles of daily life. And yet, if you're not doing well in terms of managing the strife and struggles of daily life, your sex life is going to suffer also. So, you know, it can either work for you or it can work against you. And, you know, my goal was that I wanted couples out there with one ADHD partner to do better in both ways, right? In terms of the relationship in general and their sex life specifically, I think as a field, I think we're missing this really important lever to pull, this really powerful point of intervention to help these couples do better together and enjoy life more. So yeah, so I think it's interesting stuff. I think it's important stuff. And my goal is to help all these couples just kind of live a bit of a better life. I mean, as someone with a uh, non-ADHD boyfriend, like, you know, being that person, we all have our flaws, like whether or not yeah. you have ADHD or you don't. So what do you reckon are like the key struggles? I mean, I think it's all about um, consistency and predictability, sort of, right? That's some of it in the sense that, you know, we want partners who do what they say they're going to do and who carry their weight in the relationship and are just sort of like good to work with, right? So like that's part of what we look for in relationships. But also what we look for in relationships is someone who is fun and interesting and that we're able to sort of have a good time with because life shouldn't just be about work, right? It's about both of these. And I think that what can happen, especially when the relationship becomes sort of imbalanced, is one partner, I'll let you guess which, um, becomes much more about the consistency and the planning and the getting things done. And the other partner, I'll let you guess by process of elimination, which this one is, um, becomes all about the sort of the fun and the like, we have to enjoy ourselves a little bit more and this doesn't need to be that big a deal anyway. And this kind of big tug of war ensues and neither partners really bring in their best to those discussions by which I mean arguments. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that I'm uh, the latter rather than the former. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, what I've noticed as well, there's a big parent-child dynamic goes on in relationships. Yes. It's not the greatest because you don't want to feel like you're being parented yeah. by your partner. In your experience, has that been a big thing that's come up in a lot of ADHD relationships? Absolutely. 
that you could call a parent-child, you can call it under-functioner, over-functioner. But yeah, that when somebody isn't managing their ADHD well, it becomes easy after that infatuation stage for the non-ADHD partner to take over more and more of the responsibilities. And in some ways, it makes sense because like they're good at it. And also, if we're going to really be honest, they kind of like being able to pick how things go. I think that's probably true for many non-ADHD partners. But then they become resentful about it. And when they become resentful, they become sort of controlling and not nice. And they don't like who they're becoming. And their partner with ADHD definitely doesn't like being on the receiving end of it. And yet, they're not holding up their end of the bargain. They say, oh, yeah, I'll call the bank tomorrow. And then they don't call the bank. And then non-ADHD partner says, great, I guess I got to be the one to call the bank. I don't know why I asked you anyway. Right? And then it just spirals from there. And parent-child dynamics are not fun. Hardly anybody enjoys them. And it's also a great way to kind of kill your sex life, right? Because there's a lot of reasons why we're not sexually attracted to people who either behave like children or people who treat us like children. So, um, you know, the couple, like, in more ways than one, really begins to struggle at that point. There's so many different elements. And I think what can often be found is a lot of resentment but then also you know it's not like it can be communicated because in the end of the day the person with the ADHD is it's not their fault or their choice it could turn to quite a unhealthy dynamic overall yeah. so did you touch on any strategies that couples could use well first of all I think it helps if you find yourself in this dynamic it helps to just sort of understand that you're not alone in it of like oh that's why in that often in these cases, diagnosis of ADHD perhaps comes out and someone's like, oh, now I understand so much more. You know, we talked earlier about that poorly managed ADHD makes life much more stressful. And it definitely does for the person who has ADHD, but it potentially also makes it more stressful for the non-ADHD partner who has to take up the slack. And then, of course, the non-ADHD partner's attempts to sort of get some control of the situation and whatever just increases the stress on the ADHD partner. So they're both sort of struggling. So the solution then is it's really kind of coming towards center for the person with ADHD to find some better ways to manage the demands in their life, to carry their weight, to do the things that they don't feel like doing because either they said they would or because it's just important and they should just do it anyway. So that's the obvious half of it. The less obvious but equally important half of it is for the non-ADHD partner to also understand ADHD. Oh, it's not that you don't love me. It's that you're not good at remembering things. So first of all, they don't take it so personally. Um, but also then to say, okay, given that this is what it is, I think we need to approach this stuff a little bit differently in that both partners have their part to play. Like if your happiness in a relationship rests only on your partner doing things differently and not on you doing anything differently, you're really unlikely to be happy. There doesn't really seem to be that many resources out there. I know because adult ADHD resources are kind of harder to come by than childhood resources. Yeah. That's why it's so good that books like yours are out there. Yeah, <laughs> if I remember my boyfriend's birthday, I'd give it to him for a birthday present. I'm sure I'd appreciate it. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, I have been there. And my mum was like, you remember his birthday's on this day? And I'm like, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> so, I mean, it's definitely true. There are not enough resources out there in the world for adults with ADHD. We're doing a pretty good job when it comes to parents managing kids with ADHD. But 
it's better than it used to be, but there's still not as much as we would hope specifically for adults. So you have to look a little bit harder. My big thing is like, don't reinvent the wheel, right? Other smart people came before you. They figured things out. Just use their good ideas. You know, don't start from scratch and try to figure it all out the hard way. So I think that for the partner with ADHD, if we're talking about couples still, to show like, look, I'm taking it seriously. I'm educating myself. I'm understanding it. I'm applying strategies. Maybe, you know, if medication seems warranted, and I think often it is, making an appointment, I'm following up, I'm trying different doses, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe seeing a therapist individually or together, you know, show that your partner that you're working at least as hard as they are. But I think also for the non-ADHD partner to invest that effort in that you're not investing the effort as a favor to your partner, as in like, oh, I got one more thing to do. Now I got to read some damn book. Um, but rather you're investing this effort because you yourself will be happier. The relationship will be better. That again, both people need to do their part to make it into a better relationship. That's the thing. Also with us and our negativity bias as well, we always seem to take full responsibility for like all the failings and then automatically blame it on us which I found and I know a few people I've talked to who with ADHD have found that it's so easy to take all the blame for it but actual fact it works both ways each one of us has to make a different type of effort self-awareness and education is key which is why it's so important that there is resources out there like your book and I think that you know just to sort of piggyback on this negativity bias that the problem is folks with ADHD are you know, more often than folks without ADHD, like they are the one who messed up, right? Not always. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean they're bad people Mm -hmm. for it. But when it comes to like, wait a second, I thought we're meeting at four, you thought we're meeting at five, I wonder which of us got it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's easy for the person Mm -hmm. with ADHD to say, Oh, crap, maybe that was me. Or for the non ADHD person to say, "Um, Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that was you. But it's not always the truth of it. And there's kind of two problems then. The one problem, obviously, is that the person with ADHD feels terrible about themselves more often than they need to, right? So that alone is kind of a big thing. But the other piece of it is that it basically, it's a sort of a setup for the person with ADHD to fail and the person without ADHD to be disappointed. So in other words, if the non-ADHD partner has this idea that I will be happy when you're more reliable... And by the way, this is how I do things to be reliable. So presumably that will also work just as well for you, which, by the way, is false because it won't. Um, It sets them up if they're only waiting for the person with ADHD to be a bit more consistent, like they lose the opportunity to find other ways to be happy. So in other words, maybe there's a bit of picking of battles. Maybe there's a bit of thinking about what matters most to me versus what am I going to choose to be more flexible on, where are the places where, you know what, you didn't do it the way I would have done it, but at least you did it. So like, I appreciate the effort and the consideration. I know for you, it might take more work to do it. So I appreciate it rather than being critical about the fact that like, wait a second, you didn't Mm -hmm. do it the way I would have done it. So again, like you don't want to be an onlooker to your relationship and to put all the man for change onto your partner because you're not going to be happy with the outcome, right? You're losing all the ways that you yourself can influence what happens. So 
like that's the problem with that negativity bias is if you always blame the person with ADHD, then you're missing out on half of the points of intervention that make it different. I also feel like a lot of the time it's kind of like, you know, if you're waiting for me to act a certain way and you get frustrated, but I'm not gonna do this or not lose this, we'll be waiting a while because I'll never be able to kind of meet that standard that perhaps it's easier for neurotypicals yeah. to meet. You know, there's always that pressure of being like oh I have to meet that standard but you know I think in the end of the day we also kind of have to accept that we won't and find useful ways to combat that whether that be like medication or strategies or just understanding from our partner let us off yeah. let us off with a little bit of slack that we're always like you know because we try and as long as we're showing that we are trying that's yeah. an important thing well and I think that some of it also is for the partner who has ADHD or the friend who has ADHD if we're talking about friendships is mm -hmm. to be clear in your own mind and also to communicate it to say, you know what, I bring some really good strengths and qualities to this relationship or friendship. There are certain things like I'm not going to promise that I'm going to change those because it's just I don't think I will. Like, you know, I'm always going to struggle with being on time or I'm always going to struggle with leaving out more things that you wish I left out. Doesn't make me a bad person. Doesn't mean I don't like you or love you. But these will always be a struggle. So you have a choice here on whether that becomes a deal breaker for you or whether you can appreciate the rest of the good stuff that I bring to this relationship or this friendship. And I think that's an important thing to kind of level the playing field and to not feel if you're the person with ADHD, like you're always sort of playing catch up, right? And it's always your responsibility to make the other person happy because they have equal responsibility to do that. Uh, I guess... For a lot of people, this decision of can you accept this? Can you get over the fact that I know I will do this, I will do that, and then look at the positives or look at the spontaneity or blah, blah, blah of that person. And I guess that that's, um, yeah, I don't know. Like <laughs> this, or like the fact that your, your yeah. partner will continue to forget what she's going to say in the middle of saying it. Can you deal with that? <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the thing is, if someone can't, it doesn't mean there's a problem with you. It just might mean that there's a problem of fit. Like, you know what? We may not be that good together. Yeah, you're not my person. And I'm not saying that as advice to break up with people, unless someone really does sort of suck as a partner. But, you know, to sort of to feel like you can stand your ground on some things that matter. And, you know, I think that we can sort of close somewhere here, but that sometimes use the line that, ADHD doesn't invent new struggles. It just exacerbates the universal ones, right? So as individuals, we all have our limitations. We all have those things about ourselves that we wish were different or that we did a little bit better. We all have our off moments. Um, every couple has its differences, has its challenging negotiations. Um, we all expect our partner to behave well and don't always hold ourselves to that same standard. You know, so we all have to work hard to be at least as good a partner as we want our partner to be. So this is not different for people with ADHD. It just takes a bit more effort, a bit more intentionality to really kind of bring for both, well, for you as an individual, but for both partners then in a relationship to kind of bring their best to it. Understanding ADHD, managing it well, getting treatment if you need it. All of that is going to help you do a better job to kind of bring your best to the challenges in the world and to make a life that's interesting to you. Oh my gosh, I was just living for that sentence. Like I don't really pay attention to many things, but yeah.
That was great. That was really, really inspiring. Interesting. I really like the points you raised. Yeah, amazing. Well, Good. I think you tied that up very, very nicely. You must have done a podcast before, right? One or two. <laughs> yeah, a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on. I do appreciate you taking the time. Well, my pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. I'm always happy to sort of spread the word a bit on ADHD. And I think that the world needs a lot of different voices and needs a lot of different ideas and people adding different parts to the conversation. And I think that the stuff that you do and the stuff that I do is a little bit different, but it's all good stuff, right? Like everybody's got their part to play. And I think the part that you're playing is a really great one. And I think it makes good information accessible. I think it normalizes things. I think it gives people hope. So definitely keep doing what you're doing. Oh my gosh, that's like the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Honestly, thank you for saying that. Well, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and I will see you next week.